It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. Hey, it's only been a couple of days since last we visited, and the political world has changed again. This time, your right to defend yourself with guns is in the center of it. And the U.S. Supreme Court issued an opinion on Thursday that affirms the right to carry a pistol on your person. And while in many states, within the sound of my voice, already have such laws, this this decision pertains to states that say, gee, you know, we th- if you really think you need to carry a pistol for self-defense, we're going to have to have you convince us of that. They call them may issue states instead of shall issue states as if they have a thumb on the scale of the U.S. Constitution as it pertains to you. Well, guess what? They don't. That may issue just went out the door and everyone can have a gun who is legally entitled to have one and who ain't crazy. Got it? States have time, place, and manner restrictions. But the court decided once and for all that which Heller previously said, you can have your pistol on your person or the right to bear arms means nothing. Then in other gun news, the U.S. Senate, with the mystifying help of 14 GOP senators who apparently hoping that the Democrats like them after this or something. Hey, guess what? They still don't like you. They're still going to call you names during the next election. Hate to break it to you. Not going to help. Your legacy means nothing to them. Anyway, so they passed this bill to stop school shootings like that, which happened in Uvalde, Texas. And and the truth of it is, ain't nothing's going to stop that. This bill will do nothing to stop that. But they're going to be seen as doing something. They're doing something. And we talk about that and what you could really do to stop something like that from happening again. William Kirk is an attorney specializing in self-defense law, people with guns, and the defensive use of firearms. He is the president of Washington Gun Law. He runs the YouTube channel Washington Gun Law, and his bullet point videos are must-see TV. And he talks beyond Washington State. That's one of the reasons I like him. He knows a lot about the gun issue in the United States of America. And so I had a great time talking about both of these things with William Kirk on the Adults in the Room podcast. Please enjoy it. The U.S. Supreme Court, in an opinion penned by Clarence Thomas, decided that there is should be no impediment to conceal carrying a weapon and that may issue sucks and shall issue is what it's all about these days with certain elements in the uh, in state government, uh, like, for example, someone who's crazy cannot own a gun. So, well, William Kirk... Tell me, what was your reaction when you heard about this Second Amendment B 
big Second Amendment case. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Victoria. Uh, First of all, uh, you know, in many ways, the actual issue to be decided in New York Pistol and Rifle Association v. Bruin is an issue that really, in many ways, was not going to have a direct effect on our concealed carry licenses in Washington state. Uh, New York and five other states have these very restrictive, you need to prove to me that you have a good reason to be carrying a gun before we will bestow that privilege upon you. And uh, what the Supreme Court said today is, listen, the, the, the right to protect, the Second Amendment right to protect yourself extends outside of the home as well. And so for the May issue states, such as New York, Maryland, New Jersey, California, uh, Hawaii, there's a couple others, uh, this was a pretty devastating day for them instantly. I think that the, the real thing about this case is that there are, is a lot of very clear enunciations of, of rules of law that could, uh, I think, spell a very big problem for the gun control agenda moving forward. You know, I'm still on the waiting list for a California concealed weapons uh, weapons license. Isn't that interesting? Uh, no, actually, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I'm surprised mm-hmm. you haven't made it to the waiting list. And uh, you and I will probably both die of old age before you get there. Mm-hmm. But I have a Washington State pistol, uh, concealed pistol. Right. Uh, and Washington <laughs> State is a shall issue state. And, and, you know, Washington State gets a lot of criticism because we've done a lot of, uh, you know, pretty goofy things with our gun laws in the last couple of years. When it comes to concealed carry, our CPL, uh, Washington State has what I think is a pretty fair statute, which is if you're an in-state resident, the local law enforcement agency shall issue you that concealed pistol license within 30 days unless you are otherwise ineligible to possess a firearm. And it's their duty to disprove your eligibility. The facts of the New York case were such that people who wanted to go use their pistol to go to a range had to go to a specified range uh, within their home. And if they got caught with the gun in their vehicle, they could be sent to jail even though they were just going to the range. I mean, it was, there was uh, just, uh, it was insane. And so when the federal courts began sniffing around this case, New York, as I recall, went back and said, oh, we better fix this before something crazy happens and we get the whole thing thrown out. And it was too late because while they did to trim the sails a bit on it, uh, they came back and in this decision by Clarence Thomas and the 6-3 majority opinion, uh, we have uh, the fact that this thing's just been blown up. Yeah, it has. And you're right. The state of New York did see, uh, I think, some of the writing on the wall, did go back and try to re- write their statute to some degree, hoping to make the issue moot. They didn't want a published opinion on this. Um, the Supreme Court very wisely said, hey, listen, this issue is not moot because even if New York rewrites this law, uh, we still got five other states that are doing the same thing. So it needed to be decided. And I think it has been correctly decided. And I, again, I think the bigger issue is what the court has said the rule of law is moving forward. Well, and let's talk a little bit about that. They, of course, uh, do underscore the fact that it is perfectly acceptable because this is what we've decided to do is under the Second Amendment and 14th Amendment that you have uh, the right to carry uh, a concealed weapon. But you think that this is more expansive than what we're learning right now? I do. I do. I think that this case actually, um, for those on the gun control agenda, the, the, those that actually understand the law, uh, this was a, a very dark day for them. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to say so. Yeah. Uh, because I think the court has sent a very clear message about some of these other restrictive gun measures. And um, in what way? So 
one of the things that has really been for for the people who've been geeking out on this issue, the people like me and some of the other lawyers that have been following this case, the bigger issue was always, hey, listen, what is the uh, level of scrutiny? What is the standard of analysis that a court has to use when trying to determine the constitutionality of gun legislation? And even though um, many years ago, Justice Scalia had made it abundantly clear in the matter of uh, D.C. v. Heller that a strict scrutiny analysis was to be used, for whatever reason, all of the federal circuit courts have slowly, uh, some qu more quickly than others, have abandoned that very clearly announced approach and gone to a more intermediate scrutiny approach. And without getting too deep into the legal weeds and geeking out and boring your audience to death, the difference is, is that under strict scrutiny analysis, we just take a look at what's being prohibited and say, hey, does this appear to be in violation of the clear language of the Constitution? If the answer... Uh, the, the constitutional amendment. If the answer is yes, that's it. We're done with the analysis. Mm -hmm. It's unconstitutional. We're over with. Um, intermediate scrutiny says, well, that's the first step. But the second step then is we have to kind of balance that individual right versus the societal need. And of course, the societal need being preventing gun violence and saving lives and all the other things that the gun control agenda purports to be for. Um, and of course, when we get into an intermediate scrutiny analysis, what it allows a court to do with a political agenda is just put their thumb on the scale. Right. And okay. Um, now, I think that today's opinion, uh, authored by Justice Thomas, makes it absolutely clear there is, there can be no debate about this that when we are talking about these sorts of restrictive gun measures, the only analysis to use is strict scrutiny. Uh, I think the court said that, um, Many courts have been using this two-step analysis. We believe that it is one step too far. Right. Um, and, and really, it is just a much more simple approach. And if that is truly the standard that is applied moving forward, if all the federal circuit courts follow this very clear direction from the Supreme Court, then I don't see how magazine bans survive. I don't see how AR bans survive. I don't see how many of these really restrictive gun measures around the country, including here in Washington state, I don't see how they're going to su survive constitutional scrutiny. Justice Thomas said that the Second Amendment has been treated like a second-class citizen with respect to the the Bill of Rights. Thing is, is that I can recall Mike Davis of the Article Three Project saying on the Adult in the Room podcast recently, when we talked about strict scrutiny, uh, he said that all civil rights must be accorded this measurement, by which I mean strict scrutiny when you're deciding whether or not something's unconstitutional or not, which I didn't realize. So all of this time, the Heller decision says, well, this is what the measure by which you're supposed to uh, the rod behind. Uh, this is what you're supposed to measure by strict scrutiny. Oh, OK. And, and but they haven't been doing that, which means that, of course, Justice Thomas is right. It has been treated like a second class citizen. Yeah, it has. And, and, and I would take a little bit of exception when it comes to all civil rights are subject to a strict scrutiny analysis. You know, any, uh, even a cursory view of First Amendment law recognizes that there's a time, place, and manner restriction that is lawfully permissible. That's the balancing test used there. But I would agree with the gentleman that when it comes to the Second Amendment, any case uh, that has come from the United States Supreme Court has always, always said, that strict scrutiny is the only analysis that we use when we're talking about restricting the types of firearms that are commonly used that, or we're trying to restrict the activities that people normally engage in. 
That is what we're talking about. And when we get into some of the more obscure areas, taxation and things such as that, now we're not getting into an area where strict scrutiny is analyzed. But once we're going to start affecting the, the rights of a citizen to defend themselves, how they defend themselves, the number of rounds they carry, the type of firearm they carry, where they can carry their firearm, I think the court made it very clear. Strict scrutiny is the only analysis to be applied. Okay, so let's say that California has a ban on magazines that are more than 10 bullets in which they do which they do and i'm not if i'm not mistaken is in california or washington have that too or at least they're washington working on State, it we become effective on that july 1st we actually our law implements july 1 okay so now you've got two states in play probably oregon is in the same bailiwick as well so um okay how how do how do we use this gun law to affect the magazine law. Tell me how that works yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 a very simple analysis that Justice Scalia told us that many years ago, and Justice Thomas has told us this now, which is is we take a look at the activity which is being prohibited, and is it activity which is encompassed within the language of the constitutional amendment itself? Is it the type of activity which normal, lawful, responsible gun owners would be engaged in in today's day and age? That's the analysis. If it infringes upon that activity, the law is unconstitutional. That's how straightforward strict scrutiny analysis is. So when we take a look at magazine bans, I know those on the political left want to call them high capacity magazines bans. But when we're limited in at 10 rounds, we're basically taking about 70 to 80 percent of all the more commonly owned handguns out of circulation because many, many of those firearms have standard capacity magazines which exceed 10 rounds. When we take a look at the AR platform, the perhaps most, second most popular firearm there is when it comes to self-defense, second only to the handgun, 30-round magazines has forever been the standard capacity magazine for that platform of a firearm. And so when we are restricting people from carrying the type of firearms, such as the AR, or the type of magazines, such as those commonly associated with countless numbers of firearms, we are now restricting activity which normal, lawful, and responsible gun owners engage in on a daily basis, and which is clearly protected by the language contained in the Second Amendment, which is the right to keep and bear arms in your defense. Limiting the magazine size limits your ability to defend yourself. It it most certainly does, because the argument used to get rid of high capacity magazines or standard capacity magazines is that it allows the firearm to be more lethal to the person with ill will. That is true. There is some truth to that. It also allows the firearm to be more lethal and effective for a person who is lawfully defending themselves. Now, the, the, let's talk about what it also says. Does it affirm constitutional carry? Does it affirm constitutional carry? No, I don't believe it affirms constitutional carry. I believe that this opinion really kind of says that states such as Washington probably have a pretty solid legislative scheme in place, which is we are a shall issue state. The law says we're going to give you your concealed carry license so long as we don't find out that you are otherwise um, you know, lo- not lawfully allowed to possess a firearm. Um, I think that that is a, a reasonable standard. It's no different than when you go to any reputable FFL, you're going to go through a background check before you are allowed to remove that firearm and take it into possession. So I don't think it affects 
I don't, I don't think it affirms con- uh, uh, constitutional carry. I don't think it has any bearing on constitutional carry. And I candidly don't know if this court would even touch the issue of constitutional carry. By any chance, did you read the concurrence by Samuel Alito? Uh, it was um, pretty I hilarious. I had a chance to skim it, and it, it, I did get a few chuckles. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and this- he, by all accounts, he has apparently been very salty this particular session. So, yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> Here's a couple of things he said. Let me just uh, read the highlights that I, I wrote up in a piece over at PJ Media. Uh, we know of, let's see, I just want to make sure... Wait, hold on. Alito took the court's liberal minority to task for their emotional argument. Um, untethered from the issue at hand and the Constitution, I might add. The dissent states, or the dissent cites statistics on children and adolescents killed by guns, said Alito. But what does this have to do with the question of whether an adult who is licensed to possess a handgun may be prohibited from carrying it outside the home? And he went on with all of their objections. And all of the objections were something that was, you know, they were things that were as if they would have been ripped out of the headlines. I mean, nothing moored to the Constitution, but rather an emotional appeal to people who don't want to see dead children. Well, we all don't want to see dead children, obviously. Um, But I just thought that is some pretty crappy opinion making on the part of the liberal three justices on this court. It's it's shocking and then the fact that Breyer would let that happen and wrote the the uh, dissent is even more shocking to me frankly well yeah and and unfortunately when neither the facts nor the law nor common sense are on your side uh, you really are left with nothing else to write about other than whatever heartstrings you can pull at and and let's recognize that gun violence in this country is a serious problem but the the, the heart of that problem is the violence it's not the guns. Uh, guns in the hands of lawful and responsible gun owners don't hurt anybody. Uh, firearms do not go into places and shoot the place up by themselves. There is always an evil person behind it. Um, I think that obviously uh, there is a lot of emotion on this issue, and it's hard to divorce yourselves from that issue. And unfortunately, the six conservative judges were able to look at very clear historical perspective and analyze the plain language of the constitutional amendment. And I think they arrived at a really good decision, and I think they announced the rule of law that is a solid rule of law moving forward. Mm-hmm. The uh, concurrences by the other justices, well, except Gorsuch, I think he was the only one who didn't do a concurrence. Um, and then just basically reiterating, hey, you guys, we're not saying that everyone gets a gun here. I mean, this is what they were basically saying, because they didn't want anybody to get the wrong idea. Well, yeah. And, and don't be surprised if many of the uh, so-called mainstream media outlets are spinning the story as this massive expansion. Oh, Jeffrey Tubin's already doing it. Oh, yeah. Jeffrey Tubin. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna touch that one with a ten foot pole. But, uh, anyways, uh, you know, the, the really but he'd like you there, to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, there, has is this a massive expansion of gun rights? Well, do we? Do any of us think that we, up until today, our Second Amendment rights only extended within our home? I think most of us believe that the Second Amendment protects us in any place that we're lawfully allowed to be. And all the court did today was make that very obvious, announce that, 
And it's the con it's contrary to the thinking of six states, which means it's consistent with the thinking of 44 states. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe that there's a huge expansion of gun rights that's created by this opinion, no matter what Jeffrey Tubin says. I do think that there's a very clear uh, warning shot fired across the bow of the gun control agenda that, hey, listen, any of these other restrictive gun measures you're going to have a hard time passing constitutional muster. And I applaud the court for that, too, because it may allow the state legislators to solve this problem better than allowing the courts to force the solution upon them. Mm -hmm. Well, that would require some intestinal fortitude on the part of lawmakers. Well, and intellect and intellectual honesty and, uh, and you know, all of that, which, you know, we can be critical of uh, politicians on both sides of the aisle mm. for lacking that at times. Right. Now, uh, we had previously talked about the gun bill that is wending its way through the Congress now after being mm -hmm. uh, approved by the Senate. Um, I think they voted on it and they sent it off to who knows where. I have to believe that somewhere along the line, the House is going to take a look at it and it's going to be even worse there. But, But one of the things that was included in this bill was uh, some sort of renaming, um, redefining what an FFL was. This is beginning to capture the attention of some people because it apparently invokes the language that if you are selling guns for the purposes of making money, there's it makes a distinction between that, which the FFL definition used to be, and, and that. And apparently there's something wrong with making money and selling guns. This is where it's going, I think. Do you know anything about that? You know, Victoria, it's a great question. I have been looking into it. It was a little bit of a footnote. And I know that as more and more people are scratching under the surface of this, they're, they are getting a little bit more concerned about this component. Now, let me tell you one of the things that has been very obvious since President Biden took over and the way the ATF has been conducting their uh. business. And that is that they are absolutely positively trying to expand the scope of definitions so that more activities, more individuals, more firearms, more firearm components fall under the purview of federal control. There's absolutely zero doubt about that. So any reinterpretation, redefinition of FFL designed to bring many, many more individuals under the purview of federal licensing control would be completely consistent with everything else that this administration has done uh, when it comes to your Second Amendment rights. Um, I do know that there are a lot of people, there's a website, very popular website called gunbroker.com. Um, a lot of people are moving uh, guns. Of course, they're all being, it's all being done legally. You know, private sales here in the state of Washington all have to be conducted through an FFL. Um, but yeah, this is, this is again, what the ATF routinely does is they go after lawful and responsible gun owners and they ignore the fact that 80%, and this is Department of Justice's own statistics, that 80% of all gun crimes are committed by individuals who at the time of the crime are not lawfully possessing the firearm they used. Wow. That's where our gun violence problem lies, okay? It does not lie with cracking down on lawful and responsible gun owners. It is putting the serious screws to the unlawful, irresponsible, illegal gun owners, of which there are plenty of them in every city in America. Yeah. So the other thing that this bill talks about is red flag laws and how they're going to send money and, and, and you know, because we have so much money now. Uh, and we're just, oh, yeah, we're just rolling in it. We're, rolling we're just rolling in it. In it. Right. Yeah. And so we're going to send states that don't have red flag laws money to uh, enact red flag laws. And 
So we had talked about this, and one of the things that they talk about in this bill for that, that the U.S. Senate approved is that um, people who are targeted by red flag laws will be accorded their constitutional rights. And I, and I thought, in view of our last conversation, in which you you know, set it straight that red flag laws are almost exclusively civil proceedings. Yes. And so civil proceedings done with paper. With it, that, and as a matter of fact, your civil rights are only invoked for criminal uh, proceedings. So how in the hell can the Senate say, well, we're going to uh, make sure that all of your rights and your ability to get an attorney and hear evidence and be able to cross-examine people and all that stuff in full accordance of your civil rights? They can't guarantee that because these things are civil. That's right. That's right. If there was some type of a criminal charge that instead of having... Uh, incarceration as the penalty, you would instead have forfeiture firearms as the penalty. It was, but it was defined under the criminal code. Now the individuals afforded all their constitutional rights, right to remain silent, right to counsel, right to, uh, substantive and procedural due process. The way it's conducted in Washington state, there are civil hearings. Um, due process is significantly lessened in civil hearings. And really you're essentially entitled to some notice and a kind of meaningful opportunity to be heard. And that's about all you're really truly afforded. Mm-hmm. So uh, anything else that you've heard about this bill that people should know about? Well, I think that they have not put pen to paper on everything. And it would not surprise me if this thing gets caught up a little bit, because I do think that both the red flag laws, as well as this expansion of the FFL, could hit the skids on this legislation for now. Do I think that there is going to be some watered down version of this passed? Yeah, I think there's going to be some watered down version of this passed because I think everyone just wants to save political face here and say that they did something. Um, do I think it's going to have a significant impact to my uh, folks here in Washington state? No, I don't. Do I think it could have a significant impact to folks in other states? Yeah, especially those that don't have red flag laws. I think that's where the most significant impact could be. I think there's 31 states that don't have red flag laws right now. And let's see, I'm trying to think of the other things that they had. More mental health. Uh, yeah, more mental health. Hardening whatever that targets. Means. Yeah. yeah, whatever more mental health means. I more, mean, God only knows. Well, That's more, the school, most... more school uh, health centers is what this was. Yeah, more school thought, health centers. Okay. Yeah, okay, so that's not going to cause any problems Listen, or anything. Hey, God bless the governor of Ohio, who last week signed some legislation that created a state training program for all educators and staff members at schools to be trained in the proper use of firearms for self-defense so that they could actually conceal carry while at their uh, place of employment. That's And protect fantastic. these kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, so kudos to the state of Ohio. Do you think that there's a problem with the 18 to 21 year old age limitations on being able to own guns? I mean, I think there is, but what do you think? Because that's part of this you, bill too. Do, do I, well, there, listen, that's going to be a big rub because as we know, California has a law very similar to Washington state, which restricts uh, a semi-automatic assault, uh, rifle purchases until you're age 21. So you have that dreaded age of purgatory, 18 to 20 there. California had a very similar law, which was just struck down by the Ninth Circuit. And anyone who follows the federal circuit courts know that if we were going to line them up left to right, the leftmost court by far is the Ninth Circuit, not a big uh, gun rights court. And yet they found that law unconstitutional. 
little surprised somebody hasn't run down to Olympia to file an injunction on the part of 1639 that made it similar here in Washington State. Ah. So, uh, yeah, um, there's a there's a lot of things going on in Second Amendment litigation right now. We got we got Duncan v. Bonta, which is a magazine ban out of California, sitting before the Supreme Court. We don't know if the court's going to accept review or not. We got a case out of Maryland, which I believe talks about assault rifle bans. That too is sitting on a petition for certiorari with the court. Court's either going to give it a thumbs up or thumbs down this summer as to whether they're going to accept review or not. I know that Justice Thomas, and this is why he penned this opinion, I'm sure, has been trying to prevail on uh, John Roberts, the Chief Justice, to take on more Second Amendment cases because it's his belief that you know the Second Amendment has been treated like a second class uh, right. And uh, so, anyway, I hope that he does take some of these cases. I mean. Yeah, and, and honestly, honestly, I think that the court could accept the review on the two cases sitting below it, one which deals with AR bans, one which deals with magazine bans. In many ways, I think they could be consolidated mm-hmm. uh, because I do think it involves a similar issue. And I think the court could clearly, once and for all, announce what our Second Amendment rights truly are. And uh, that should be the end of it. But if only the world were that simple, right? Is there a circuit split on that? On those questions? Oh, yeah. The circuit courts are all over the place. Ah, Circuit courts are all over the place. And they're all over the place because they have ignored the edict from the Supreme Court, which is strict scrutiny. Mm -hmm. All of these courts apply an intermediate scrutiny analysis. And then, of course, the politics changes from circuit to circuit. And therefore, so does the scale. Mm -hmm. Any last thoughts before you go out and back into the world and litigate on behalf of <laughs> it's a, your... It's a better day for the Second Amendment this afternoon than we all woke up this morning. And I and I applaud the Supreme Court for not only making the right decision as it relates to the state of New York, and c- congratulations to the folks in New York State now, but I, I think I really applaud the court for, I think, very clearly announcing once and for all how we're going to view any of this other type of legislation. You know, you're the only one saying that so far. You're probably right, but you're the only you're the lone ranger on this one. Well, I, you know, I'm surprised. I'm surprised because if you go back and you take a look at what a lot of people were talking about with this case, this case was always about much more than just concealed carry rights in the state of New York. This was and, and you had mentioned the court had really not taken any case since Heller. Mm-hmm. And so we really from the Second Amendment community, we really wanted another announcement of how we are going to scrutinize these laws. And today was the day that that arrived finally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's too bad that what they should have done uh, for this school bill, this uh, this gun bill that they said that would prevent something that would happen in uh, Uvalde. Uh, it's too bad they couldn't have just told them to unlock a door or urge them to go in, use a few uh, use some heroism to walk through the door and go after the bad guy. Maybe they need a law to say that too. Yeah, the, the situation in Uvalde, the more and more we learn, the worse and worse it gets. Um Seems and, to me that would that would more accurately yeah. solve that well, problem. You know, I, I, t- I tell you, when it comes to the issue of the schools, um, and I just did a video on my channel about this, is is that if we take the two arguments that we routinely hear every time we get a school shooting, there's one group that screams, "It's the guns! It's the guns! Take all the guns!" And then the other side screams, "No, no, no! We actually need more guns!" And really, the problem is mental health. If we just, for the sake of this hypothetical, assume both of those statements to be completely true, okay, how long would it actually take the United States to round up all the guns? What, 200, 300 years? 
and the last 200 years, the only people who are going to have the guns are the unlawful folks, okay? So right. that's a solution that takes a couple of centuries to actually implement. If you take a look at mental health, we'll take a look at where we are in the year 2022 with mental health and how much more we still have to learn. So that's a, I, I have more faith in the medical community than I do the political community. So what do we <gasps> give them, right? We give them 50 or, we give them 50 or, well, yeah. And well, the problem, the problem is, is the medical community allowed the political community to bleed into it. Oh, yeah. That, that, that was their problem was the infiltration of politics into science. That was, you know, politics will ruin anything. But, but getting back to my point is the, the, the those both solutions, even if we assume to be true, they are years and years and years to implement. You know, a solution that actually works right now is secure the schools. Secure the schools right now. Go back to September 11th. We had four airplanes hijacked from what, two or three airports. Uh, by September 16th or 17th, when we opened the airports back up, there's no hijacker that's ever going to operate in an American airport again. Why haven't we secured the schools in some fashion like that? It's a, it's a solution that solves the problem immediately. Now, do we need to work on the other issues to figure out how to prevent these things? Absolutely. But you want to protect the kids, protect them right now. I mean, you could. You can. And, and locally, you they the could do that. You need the political will to do it. You well, just need the political will and the guts to do it. I, I just don't understand why there isn't. I think people just love this as an issue, a wedge issue. Oh, it's the guns. It's. I, I think that must be it. It's the same thing that I see with uh, border security. It's the same thing that I see with abortion. These issues are used to create a wedge between two parties. And, for example, the gun bill, John Cornyn. Uh, said, acknowledged that one of the sticking points in that bill before they'd gotten the language for it was the Hyde Amendment, which is taxpayer support mm-hmm. of abortions. What the hell is that even doing in this bill? And then I looked through the bill and I did a word check, didn't see anything about abortion or the Hyde Amendment. So I, I don't know if it ultimately made it to the final cut. But the thing is, is that how incredibly cynical is that? How incredibly cynical is that? Uh, yeah, great. Get the Hyde Amendment in there. Whatever. That's what's holding up a gun bill. Really? You people are not serious then. You are not serious. No, Fix I think the that- damn schools. I think there are many, many political issues that one or both sides do not really want to solve those issues because that's one less drum for them to beat on exactly. when it's time to do that. Yeah. And that, that, and I think that's the sad reality of when we have career politicians. I, I, I just think that at some point that you just can't live in a sewer that long and not become a turd yourself, <laughs> you know? And no, I really do. And I, and I think both sides are guilty of this. And that's why I've always been a huge proponent of term limits. For our legislators as well, I think that if we had more fresh blood, fresh ideas, we'd actually get people who were interested in solving problems because they have a very limited time of being there versus those that are just sit there trying to entrench themselves in in power. I agree. I mean, I I don't think that uh, term limits federally are tenable unless you change the Constitution. But so but I wish people would. Do something well, certainly like, they're not going to vote their way out of a job now, are they? Uh, no, they're not. George Washington <laughs> limited his terms, limited right. his terms. He was terms. the last one to do it, too, by the way. So <laughs> it, really, it really fell out of favor right after he did it, I guess. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on, William Kirk. Yeah, Washington gun owners. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. 
To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple Podcast app every time you listen. And give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs, and it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor, Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, mischief managed. Rise up.